We're going to try it. If it doesn't work, you can tell me, and we'll, we'll go back to what we were doing. But um, we're going to try out the podcast way. Uh, you'll be able to click on it on our website or sign up on your phone or whatever. It's going to be on iTunes. We're going to be famous. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> um, until it gets pulled down from iTunes, and then, you know, well, let's put it on Spotify. I don't know. <clears throat> All right. So uh, Hebrews 11. Now faith, I'm, I'm starting in verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the entire chapter is summed up in this. Uh, we, we've sort of been discussing this, what faith is, because it really summarizes the Christian life. Faith is trust that Jesus is coming again and all of this will be remade. So it's, the, it's eagerly expecting the things we hope for. It's the substance of those things because we have them now. But what's different between having them now and when Jesus comes again? What's the difference? What? Yeah, well, Jesus is here now. But, uh, but, there, but you're, yeah, you're touching on it. Yeah, it won't be a hope anymore because you don't hope for what you already have, right? You don't hope for that. You have it. Um, so this is the point, is that it will move from being a hope to a realization, or rather it will move from faith to the reality. You're right, sight. Yeah, that's, and that, maybe that's the best way to put it as the opposite. Faith, from faith to sight. Uh, and actually, some of the church fathers, that's how they explained it. Right, The beatific vision, that we would see Jesus face to face and see God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, so this is what faith does. Now, all of these examples start at creation. In verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. And they end uh, in verse 39. So that's where we'll start. So verse 39. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So, what were they waiting for? The promise. But because they're waiting for the promise, they're also waiting for what? Well, yes, that's the promise. But who is included in their waiting? What group is included? We are! Right? And now... While we wait for that promise of Jesus coming again, this is still active and effective. So that Jesus, the only reason he's not coming is that we would not be made perfect without those who are to come. So do not grow too weary. And, and he's about to tell us this. Don't grow too weary because the point is more are to come. They're to be gathered in. So that, so that we would not be made perfect without our children and their children. Right? Uh, and this is then the point. We are not waiting forever, but we are waiting for all those whom God would gather to himself. And, and so that the promise includes us. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Jesus will not come again until all are gathered to him that he elects. Uh, so in a way, uh, Jesus was waiting for you to be born before he came again. Because he wanted you to be with him forever. All right, so this is what faith does. It grabs the promise 
And what does it do to the promise? You what? Yeah, it holds on to it and it makes it mine. Right? Because unless I'm holding on to that promise and believing that it is mine, is the promise still there? Yes, it is, but I don't have it. Right? This is what faith does. It holds on to the things not said. That's why it's the substance. Because it's the one thing that holds on to it. All right, now we're going to hear about God's holy chastening. Um, so it, it's nice sort of hearing about all these wonderful heroes of the faith. Although when it gets to the end, it sort of gives a picture of the things to come, right? So even, even in verse uh, 36, um, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. Now you really want to stop, you know, when all the hero stuff is happening, right? <laughs> so you don't have to do that stuff. Um, but this is the point, is that all those who did these things, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of the fathers in the faith, they didn't just do hero stuff, but rather they endured all of the mockings and the hatred of the world. They endured not having a home, imprisonments, pain, suffering. Uh, and now we're going to jump into what, what it means. So you have faith. Okay, well, what does it look like? Now, now we're going to see what it looks like in your everyday life. So, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so um, there's, a, there's a couple things here. Uh, one, what does it mean to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses? Yeah, where are they? Yeah, in the cloud, right? Well, and, and it's great that he uses that imagery, right? Because who else is taken up in a cloud? Jesus is. And what about the cloud in the Old Testament? What is, what is it? Yeah, right? So this cloud is not just, you know, an image that's sort of nice, but rather it is the presence of God with us. And we, and soon in chapter 12, he's really going to get to it. Because in the divine service, we are not the only ones there. The angels are with us, as well as all the company of heaven, meaning all the saints, all those departed, because we are one in Christ. And Christ is among us where two or three are gathered. Um, so we have a great cloud of witnesses. What's their job for us? We sang it today, but what's, what's the witness's job for us? What do they do for us? Yeah, right, right. So, so then, so, yeah, they lived a life that, that, that we would follow, right? Uh, so, again, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So they're, they're there as encouragers. They're there to remind us that this life of faith does reach a conclusion. But in the midst of it, what are we facing? What are the two things that he brings up? Yeah, right. So what is the weight? Every weight. Uh, yeah, so, so I think he sort of separates these two. But, but I think what you said was, was right. 
Yeah, the cares of this world. So Paul talks a lot about, Jesus talks a lot about this, is that the cares of this life are heavy. This is actually why Paul gives the suggestion that um, uh, not being married is good. Why would not being married be a good thing? It lightens your cares and burdens. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so I, I expect all of you when you're walking out of church today to be casting your husbands and wives to the side. <laughs> casting off your weights. Uh, we won't mention the children. Um, so, so um, yeah, I, it, the reason why is that we end up caring more about the things of this life because of our care for others than we do about the cares of God. Now, there, there's a righteous way to care about husbands and wives and children, um, but what Paul is commenting on is that uh, we get those all confused. And we think that, oh, well, I have to serve my children. In order to serve my child, he's got to be in the best sports program. That happens to be on Sunday. So I got to really, you know, make sure he's, you know, in that program. See, I, I'm, I'm saying I love my child, but really I've mistaken my love for God's love. And I'm, I'm confusing the two. So the cares of this life are the cares that we refuse to acknowledge God as the one who gives them, and, as, and, and we refuse to follow it in God's way. So if I'm caring for my wife, that's great. However, if I think that her needs are defined by her emotions or her, you know, whatever thoughts she has, as opposed to her needs being defined by God, that's a problem, right? And, and we have, everyone has felt needs. What's the difference between a felt need and a need. A felt need and a need. What's the difference? Yeah, right? Just because you feel you need your air conditioning doesn't mean you need it. Right? You need water. Okay, you need water. Your body needs water. But even that you don't actually need. Because what happened to Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, so what's the more necessary thing? Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you see, we, we end up confusing the needs of this life with the needs that God tells us. First, seek first the kingdom. Then all these things will be added to you. But we always pick the other stuff. Well, yeah, Lord, but... So, then the, so what Paul is reminding us of is our tendency to put the stuff and the felt needs of life as opposed to God's word and make the stuff first. So the weight, I think you're, you're exactly right, Ed, that the weight is the cares of this life, the things that weigh us down and make us think that um, caring for this life is the goal. So that we have to cast off. Seek first the kingdom. That's, that's number one. Yes, sir. The only thing is, Passion. He says, get married. And of course, we look at the churches where uh, celibacy, so called, i.e., non married state, seems to be paramount. And you look at all the troubles those people have. I think Paul is right. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and, and you notice, too, that Paul doesn't forbid marriage. 
And he even says it's necessary. And if you don't have the gift of celibacy, get married. Right? Because you don't you can't choose not to you can't choose against God's order. God has ordered men to desire women and women to desire men, and that should be carried out in marriage. However, some have the gift of celibacy, and he has given them that gift, and Jesus comments on this. Um, but uh, if you don't have that gift, then you should be married. But in marriage, the point is, and this is what Paul would say, those who are married, act as if you're not. And those who have things, act as if you're, you don't. Because what's the point? Why would you act as if you're not? What, what does that mean? Or act as if you don't have stuff. What does he say? Yeah, don't, don't make this your God. Right? You should cling to the word of God. And see, this is the confusing part for, for many, is that they think that, well, if I, if I cling to Jesus first, then, then I won't have any of these things. It's the opposite. Clinging to Christ, you have every, everything. He adds all those things to you. So that the more you love Christ, the more you love your wife. Right? Yeah. And, and the goal is actually, if, if the goal is achieved in our death, as you've been saying about the difference between living and dying, if our goal is death, our goal is actually, it has nothing to do whether we're married or not married, because in heaven, there, no one will be married. It's a care and a concern for this life that we won't have at all in heaven. Right. And so the, the goal at the finish line is actually to leave everything but our souls behind. And when we cling as, as being ultimate in importance, anything except ending, leaving it all behind and Jesus being our everything, then, then uh, we're, we're tripping ourselves up in the race. Because that's not the goal. Our goal is not to take anything with us. Our goal is to reach Jesus where we leave everything behind and Jesus is everything. Right. And, right. and again, when we get... This is the nature of sin, isn't it? It's because we put other things... In front of our goal, I need this, that, or the other thing. When our goal needs to be ultimately to leave it all behind, and that Jesus would be happy. That's right. Well, and, and this is what's going to happen. He's going to define this. So we'll, we'll jump to sin, and then we'll and then and then we'll really see that this race or that goal is the point. But we are going to endure much while doing this. So he. This is sort of like a summary, just like he did with faith. And, now, and then he's going to jump into it. So um, what does he mean by saying, lay aside uh, the sin which so easily ensnares us? How do you lay aside sins? You accept his mercy and his, the fact that he did die for us. That's the second part. But what's the first part of laying aside sins? He said that we have mercy. That's true. But what's the first part of laying aside sin? What? Confession, yeah. You have to acknowledge that it's sin and even more so to hate it. It's not laying aside sin to be sad that you got hit, right? So maybe next time I'll sin in a better way so that I don't get a consequence, right? That is not laying aside sin. Sin is not figuring out how I can still do what I want in God's house, but rather that I would crucify or be crucified by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, okay, so we lay aside those sins. And then, of course, we have this race. And, uh, what, and uh, Pastor Baisley already brought this up, but this is wh who we're looking to. Right? In a race, you have a goal. 
Looking to what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, Christ endures the bloody chastening of God with joy as a son. And this then is, first, first he's our Savior. And you notice that. He's the author and finisher of our faith. But you notice, too, that if we have the same faith as him, what's going to happen to us? The same thing. And so then, seeing Jesus, he is both the author and perfecter of our faith as our Savior, but now also the one that we will follow in all things. So that in each area of our life, nothing is exempt. We will suffer in everything because where is our sin? In everything. It's in all of us. It's in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, in our very being. And so, to put it simply, it's going to hurt. All right, uh, let's jump into uh, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go to your sheet here, not for the long part yet, but the short part in the front. Um, these are taken from some of our confessions, and they're so helpful. Uh, if you don't have the Book of Concord, I would suggest you buying it. Uh, they're the list of all of what we confess as Lutherans. It's not written for scholars. It's written for a confession. Um, So, uh, this is taken from there. I list where it's from in this book of Concord. The formula of Concord uh, was written by uh, Chemnitz and Andrea. Uh, They were sort of after Luther, and they were consolidating all of Lutheranism because we were sort of fighting amongst ourselves. And so, what Chemnitz did, along with Jacob Andrea, is he gathered all the Lutherans together at the time and said, okay, it looks like we have a couple more things to settle in our confession. Um, so they gathered everything together and made the Book of Concord. Uh, so this formula is what they were writing to consolidate all of the Lutheran churches at the time. Um, but that's just history. Uh, this particular article is on the third use of the law. So they, so they were disagreeing about how the law worked. Uh, what does the law do for Christians? Some were saying, Christians don't need the law anymore. We're, we're Christian. We're, we need the law for. We have grace. Uh, so they would say, even you know, my preaching today would be wrong. I preached the law. I should not. I should only preach the gospel. Because the law is not for Christians. Um, and so that became a confusion among Lutherans. Um, and so here we see the law has these three uses. Um, so the law of the Lord causes external discipline. And that means literally the police officer that pulls you over. The law of God is able to stop you. But he also stops people by sickness and by other things uh, as punishments to them. Uh, So uh, although we would not say, uh, for instance, uh, when the televangelist blames a certain country for the hurricane that just was unleashed upon them, we wouldn't say they're unbelievers. Well, the reason we wouldn't say they're unbelievers is because believers get punishments too. And we need chastising too. Um, But we can say it is most certainly a chastisement of God, a punishment to evil, but a chastisement to those who are Christians. All calamities are that. 
whether it's sicknesses, whether it's uh, disasters in the world, God is, God is the God over those things. He, might, he, he can most certainly answer any one of our prayers to immediately stop all natural disasters. And then if another one of us prayed, well, I want all disease to be gone, he could immediately stop this. All hunger to be gone. Done. This is God. So we must understand that these aren't accidents. These are ordained and decreed by God for a reason. And they are his sermon of the law to us. So external um, calamities is external discipline. So that's the law of God. You see the law of God all the time. <clears throat> okay, uh, so that's one use of God's law. The other is the knowledge of sin. And that's what we do in church. That's how we apply it here. Um, but also how God uses his, especially his Ten Commandments, to diagnose your sin. Uh, and it accuses us. So this use of the law is not so much forcing you into anything, but rather showing you your sin. And then finally, as a guidance for us Christians. Because, as I've been saying, how do we know what we need? We're so blind and so foolish as sinners, we don't know what we need. And so we need God to tell us in the Ten Commandments. So those three things, uh, sometimes we call them the curb, the mirror, and the guide. Um, it, that's sort of a simple way of, of thinking of it. All right, so the law of the Lord is necessary so that the old Adam may not use his own will, but may be subdued against this will with warnings, threats, punishments, and blows. We're okay with the warnings and threats part. But when the rubber hits the road is when the Lord actually sends you punishments as chastising. Now again, when we hear punish, do not hear um, that you are outside of the faith. When I punish my children, I don't think they're not my children anymore. I punish them because I want to teach them. That's the whole point of discipline. Um, so when you hear punishment, well, all, it is, all it is saying is pain caused in direct relation to your foolish sin. Right? That's the point. As a punishment is given for a reason and it is painful so that you realize your sin and confess it. Um, although we will get to other parts of this, but this part is talking about the old Adam. So this is where the Lord will give you a nice big smack, uh, whether that's through sickness or pain or through losing something, uh, then you will begin to realize Oh, like David, I am a sinner. Yes? Uh, punish is kind of, for a modern man, is a kind of a hard-sounding word. But I think you said it earlier that, uh, to me, the, the term also discipline, he who whatever, you know, also disciplines us because he loves us, like a father as a son. And uh, the thing about discipline in that manner is it's not just a tongue-lashing, but it is a training. That's right. So That's right. When the, when the DI shouts in your face and gets you to fall in the mud over what seems like live fire, he's doing it so you will survive combat. That's right. You know, it's, it's tough. Good. But yet, when you're done with it, you can survive the combat, which we have every day against the devil and the, and the demons. That's right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I love you brought in the combat part because that's really, that's the training. Right? The Lord wants you to remain in his kingdom. And so as a good father will do, uh, he will punish you so that you realize your sin and that you realize that you're in danger. Right? That, that's one of, the, one of the greatest punishments you give children is when their life is absolutely threatened. Then you really give it to them. Right? Not, because, not because you really hate your child, 
but because you love them so much that you want them to know with absolute certainty. This is a, you want this to feel so painful for them to, to ever do this again, right? Now, sometimes that means that you let the pain happen. You fall out of the tree, you, you know, touch the stove, right? That, that the, that, that's a form of discipline, is to let them do something foolish and experience the very real repercussions of that thing. Um, so, yes? The problem I have with the word punishment is if it means that I'm being punished because I did something bad, that when I'm blessed with something, I right away think, oh, I must have done something right. Ah, yes, right. <clears throat> well, and, and, and when we get to this, uh, there's actually uh, uh, one of the reasons why the Lord doesn't just never give his church uh, punishments or chastisements is so that we don't rely on our good works. Because you're right. That's what our sinful flesh does. Our, our sanctified new man says, I don't deserve this. Thank you for this blessing. Our, our, our old Adam, he gets right back up. Oh, yeah, I'm so good. You know? And then the Lord has to beat him again. <laughs> um, but that's part of the training, right? It's so that even that can be trained out of us. Um, because it's inconsistent. Well, you know, if I'm doing good, shouldn't the Lord bless me every time? He doesn't. Good. Because he doesn't want you to rely on that. Uh, and, and again, this is why, of course, the, the Lord could make your life the most comfortable life ever. And you would just float gently right into the jaws of hell. <laughs> You'd have a nice, you know, mimosa you know, on, your, on, your, on your floaty. And it, the broad river would take you into the jaws of death. And then you'd never be seen again. He could do that, but he's not going to. Because he doesn't want you to die forever. Right? Because that's what it would be if we got what we wanted. That's what the old Adam wants. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in the eyes of the Christian, these punishments, right? We look at them as blessings. Yes. That's, that's, I mean, if punishment is, is death for sin, which you can also look at death as a Christian as a blessing and a gift. But, but these chastisements, you know, we can look at as this is a gift from God. You don't feel pain, you get your arm locked off, that's kind of a big deal. You do feel pain, you take your arm back, right? That's right. Yeah, right. And, and, and this then, think of it, and Jesus uses this example all the time. Your fathers disciplined you, and what did you do? In the end. You, you thank him. Now, that is a weird thing. You mean you thank your dad for beating you? <laughs> yes, I do. Because if he didn't, I would be an awful person. He showed me pain so that I knew what was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reminded of a title of a book called Pain, A Gift Nobody Wants. You know, and uh, I read 400, the whole thing I read, some of it made sense. And one of it was a simple, like if you ever drank Gatorade, you know, just like right now, it doesn't taste so good. But after a good workout, Gatorade, wow, Gatorade tastes pretty good. But you had to go through something to appreciate the blessings. So uh-huh, uh-huh. I had to go through uh, a lot of pain in order to get some right. joy is much greater. And uh, real quickly, to, to my son's horn a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my son, you'll pay for recording football. And... Um, during his speech at the end of the, the year, after his uh, career, one of the, te one of the teammates went up to him and said, Coach, so-and-so hate you. 
And then said, wow, I hope that <laughs> But as a result, after almost four years of football, he realized he's, it was that reason, it was that hardness that, that pushed him, the pain, the yelling, the everything else made him the player and person, and according to being a Christian college, Christian than, uh, than he is today. Yeah. So uh, the pain hurt, but in the end, it was all worth it. Right, and, and this is, in, in, uh, later on, Peter will say it's a refining fire. And I, one, of the, one of my favorite quotes of Luther is when he's, he's commenting on um, the tree that needs to be pruned. If you were the tree, how would you feel? Don't worry, I'm just going to cut off a limb. No, no! <laughs> and yet, that's what makes the tree produce. He's not going to kill you, and that's not his goal. His goal is for your good. However, this also shows us how deep the old Adam is. We are very good at being easy on ourselves. And this is why people get personal trainers, right? Because they know that if they don't have someone pushing them past what they think they're going to give up on, then they might not ever get to that point. They need someone else to help them. Um, but of course, the old Adam's worse than that. Right? And, and the depth of his clinging to us, we cannot fathom. That's why we need God to do this. And we would love if all we had to be do, all he had to do was tell us. However, that's not all he has to do. Okay. Um, so what's the goal of this? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, I just want to point out that um, that's the danger of uh, these prosperity gospel Right. You know, they, they would come out and say that punishment is from the devil and blessings are from God. But that's, that's not what it says. You know, further down in verse 6 and following, if we'll get to that. But, uh, but, it, but it would make us, the, the discipline or the punishment, if, if we see that as only from the devil, then, then we would uh, 